1: With over 7 billion people in the world, we all have one thing in common. Every day, we all get dressed. Welcome to Dressed, the History of Fashion, a podcast where we
0: explore the who, what, when of why we wear. We are fashion historians and your host,
1: April Callahan. And Cassidy Zachary. Well, hello, Dressed listeners. Welcome to our second ever Fashion History Now episode. Yeah, welcome to episode two of our new format of our mini-sode. Yeah, so this is where we bring you all that's happening in the world of fashion history today to kind of, you know, give you uh, options of things that you can actually go out and do, be it reading uh, an article or a new book, watching a documentary Um, You know, there's so much happening in the world that we wanted to share it with you on, um, I guess, a bi-weekly basis.
0: Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. So we will be alternating the uh, fashion history mystery mini-sode where we answer your questions with these fashion history now mini-sodes
1: as well every other week. So this week, April, I thought we would kind of start talking about Fashion Week. We're on the tail end of the month of quote-unquote Fashion Week. We are mm-hmm. currently witnessing all the Paris runway shows. And I thought this would actually be a great opportunity to suggest a Instagram follow to our listeners. Yes. At Robin Gavon, uh, R-O-B-I-N-G-I-V-H-A-N. She's a fashion critic for The Washington Post and a past-dressed guest. Yep, absolutely. She came on on the show on our very first season to talk to us about the Battle of Versailles,
0: which happened in 1973. It was basically like a fashion show face off between French couturiers
1: and American designers. Yeah. So that was an amazing episode, but she is an incredible critic. She's very thoughtful and insightful about her coverage of fashion um, that I think a lot of our listeners will really appreciate. Um, For instance, today she's posting about the Balenciaga show and she's saying um, that the, the show is thoughtful, but she says, quote, thoughtful, just stressful. <laughs> <laughs> There's, it's very ominous. I think it's, it's yeah. kind of a commentary on, on climate change. I haven't read much else about it. But um, she also has been writing about kind of the feminist ideologies that inspire Maria Grazia Chieri's creations for Dior and how – You know, that the fashions and the runway she presents don't really reflect those feminist beliefs. They still reflect this kind of feminine ideal of a woman, which is, you know, a little counterintuitive or counter to um, feminism for all women, representing all women. That's something that's, I guess, problematic throughout fashion. She also was commenting about Virgil Abloh's um, off white collection, how she just doesn't get it. I don't know if you've seen that yet, but he was sending like half parkas and half tool dresses down the Runway. Yeah. And, and not only that, but um, one of those tool dresses was actually ripped off. I think it was from Givenchy. I don't know if it was Givenchy, but she uh, there's definitely been comparisons to um, Victor and Rolf's tool creations and kind of these like cutout creations. Like it's definitely something that's definitely probably been done before. But I thought uh, the fashion writer Tony Glenville, who you could also follow on Instagram, had a really insightful commentary about Some of the collections that have hit the runway today. And he wrote that it's time fashion stopped treating us to don't care clothes, you know, kind of these clothes that we can't really wear in real life. He says, you know, we need to start thinking of the future and designing fashion to wear in the real world. Think about fashion to keep and cherish and fashion to make women look strong and confident. It's not taking the fun out of fashion, it's actually thinking on the subject of fashion as a global business. And he goes on that fashion is a creative force, an employer of millions, a repository of tradition and craft. Let's think about how it can survive in the future. And then I wanted to kind of talk to you about this, April, because he ends with costume belongs in museums, fashion belongs in our lives. And I was curious what your thoughts are on about that. Do you agree with him? Well, I mean, I think that's some problematic
0: terminology in terms of (laughs) exactly how we as fashion historian use those words, right? Um, because all fashion is costume, but all costume isn't necessarily fashion. Does that make any sense? <laughs>
1: Yeah, and I mean, I think he's trying to distinguish between this idea of like fashion as as costume, as kind of like this performance art, as a, something that isn't really representative of what we would wear in the everyday. And specifically, he was talking about the Moschino's collection sent down by Jeremy Scott um, recently, which he literally had, it was very much um, a let them eat cake Marie Antoinette moment with Mm -hmm. like tons of panniers and women and, you know, those huge um, wigs reflective of late 18th century fashion. Um, But they literally came down the runway dressed as cakes, you know, and like references to 18th century pannier gowns. So a lot of people probably aren't going to wear those clothes. And I guess the argument would be if we're just creating fashion for, um, I guess, this like ephemeral shock value to send it down the runway is it still worth it? Should we be doing that or should we be more conscious of the environment and creating fashion that isn't actually meant to be put on bodies? Well, I, I
0: that actually kind of leads me into um, the, the follow that I want to talk about because you said who's going to wear these things? Well, perhaps this next segment of the fashion buying public, which are drag queens <laughs> – um, so I can definitely see some of those drag queens on RuPaul's Drag Race adoring that Moschino collection. And um, what I would like to recommend to our listeners is to follow an Instagram account called at Drag Bombs, D R A G B O M B S, and this Instagram account is hysterical. Um, (laughs) It's actually run by the brother of a former dressed guest, Tara St. James, who came on in season one and talked to us about the intersection and history of sustainability and in the fashion industry. But her brother, Jordan, (laughs) he's hilarious. He is obsessed with uh, RuPaul's Drag Race, and he's also obsessed with Lush products, the cosmetics company. (laughs) And so what he does is he finds pictures of drag queens and then pairs them up with the Lush product that reflects their outfit, and they are hysterical. Some of them are so dead on and so perfect. I showed it to a couple of my friends one time, and and I tell everybody to follow this all the time, and they're like, oh, no, no, no. He has to be the designer of the products. And the the drag queens are his inspiration. But no, 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 that is not the case. He's just really, really good at this. So if you want to put a giggle in your day, follow (laughs) Jordan
1: on Drag Bob's, and I promise you it's going to put a gigantic smile on your face. I know. And I just, speaking of, I've never seen this account, so I just went to it. And it's Jordan the Ravenclaw Lushy, a master bather, and he said, no drag queens were harmed in the making of this account. Hashtag lush Life. <laughs> <laughs> it is pretty incredible how spot on uh, a lot of these comparisons are. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Well, check that out, dress listeners. A lot of uh, Instagram accounts for you to follow and check out. Some other things for you to watch, some suggestions of some films uh, I would like to suggest that I just watched actually this past week. I came across, it's actually a couple years old, but um, I had not seen it. It's a documentary called My Generation that's streaming on Amazon. Have you heard or seen of that, April? I have not, but you better bet I'm going to put it on my list now. I really, really liked it um, because it is almost entirely comprised of archival footage and photographs, so there's no you know, there's no intersplicing with interviews of people in the modern day. They they just take those voices from those interviews. It's Mm. narrated by Michael Caine. It's kind of like his generation and his experience in the 1960s. And he interviews people like famed photographer David Bailey, models Penelope Tree, Mary Quant, Twiggy, Vidal Sassoon. All these people are interviewed. They're so integral to this period. And it, this, you know, this documentary that's really about in the 1960s, it just reveals how integral fashion was to the experience of the 1960s by all these people we interviews. So I highly suggest checking that out. Yeah.
0: And I actually have um, a suggestion as well, and this is on Amazon Prime. And just this past week, we aired our interview with um, jewelry designer, educator, and activist Bliss Lau about ethics and responsibility within the jewelry trade. And if you would like to learn more about this conversation that we were having, there is a fantastic and A little heartbreaking, I have to say. Documentary. It's called Shadows of Gold, and if you if you're an Amazon Prime member, it's on Prime Video. You can also rent it um, if you if you don't have um, Prime Video. I, th- I think it's like three or four dollars, but it's definitely worth a three or four dollars just to learn about um, some of these practices that are going mm-hmm. on within, um, specifically the gold industry. And the film explores both sides of the industry. Um, it looks at big-time mining operations. And it also looks at these kind of artisanal small miners. And and apparently, there are an estimated 20 million artisanal miners all over the world. Um, And and a lot of these people are extracting um, the gold by hand. And it looks at um, mining operations in terms of, like, industry in Montana and in British Columbia. And then it even goes into... Dealing with these one on one interviews of a, a female miner in the Congo, some Chinese miners who are battling with some illnesses that they have incurred while working for a state owned gold mine, and they're trying to get health care and compensation for this. Um, and it also uh, looks at some artisanal miners in Peru that know the risk of the mercury that they're using in their processes, um, but they they really kind of feel that they don't have another option. So um, as seeing all these things on the screen is so much more impactful than, than listening to the podcast. So, so check it out. You might want to be prepared to be a little bit sad, but, you know, in order for us to do better, we have to know these things. We, we, we have to think about these things and consider where our gold and where our gems come from, just like our clothing.
1: Absolutely. Um, And again, not, you know, it sounds like we're like um, being sponsored by Amazon, but we're not. Um, I also on Amazon Prime this week watched The Aeronauts, uh, which was a really fun movie. Um, starring Felicity Jones and Eddie Redmayne. Um, And I actually, the costume design is by Alexandra Byrne. Um, I think it's Byrne. It might be Byrne too, but she's an Oscar award-winning costume designer. She's done so many films like Elizabeth, Avengers. This film in particular is set in mid-19th century. Um, It's kind of based on fact, but not really. It's based in 1862 when this headstrong scientist, uh, James Glacier, played by Eddie Redmayne, and he was a real scientist who went up in a balloon and basically flew higher than anyone in history ever had, like 30,000 feet. Hmm. Um, The fictionalized aspect is the addition of the wealthy widow, Amelia Wren, and it's a really great movie i had i really enjoyed it but i also had it also had some costumes that i think everyone would appreciate april because her husband actually unfortunately dies in the film and they do a really good job of showing the morning dress and the progression of morning dress um because it's set in england uh in the 1860s so not only are you getting these incredibly beautiful huge wide crinoline silhouettes um of the period, but you're also seeing the transition from black, all black, and then into kind of the mixtures of white and black, and then into purple. And then finally she's released after, I guess, what would have been a year of mourning. Um, so anyways, if you've got the time, listeners, I would check it out. Yeah.
0: And actually on the, on the in the wake of our etiquette episode, we actually have had some requests to do a mourning episode. So we will get to that at some point, probably this season.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Because that is incredibly, <laughs> as one can imagine, um, or maybe actually not, maybe people don't realize how incredibly um, intricate that process was and the expectations of women of a certain class um, and their relationship to mourning. So, yeah,
0: and, and it went on for centuries,
1: actually. Oh, too. yeah. So we'll get into that. So, I went to a really fun
0: lecture this week, Cass.
1: You want to awesome. hear about it? <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> um,
0: it was at FIT, and it was at the hosted by the museum at FIT. And um the person speaking, her name was Carol Spencer, and she was there to talk about her book, Dressing Barbie. So for any of you Barbie fans out there, Carol was a Barbie designer, um, both the dolls and the clothes for more than 40 years. And this The book is really fascinating because it really gets into um, the the behind-the-scenes stories at Mattel, and Carol is the very first Mattel employee who's ever been given permission to do an inside story. Awesome. Yeah, she had to get permission from the company, and she actually had to get a license to be able to write this book. But um, she is a legendary Barbie designer, so so they went ahead and gave her the thumbs up. Um, and um, kind of the theme of uh, Carol's talk was that how Barbie has evolved with the times, always, over, over this four decades that she designed Barbie. And she also talks a little bit about her own personal background. She was telling us at the very beginning of the talk that um, how she graduated high school in 1950. So that means probably that she's 87 or 88 at this time. And how she graduated from high school in 1950, she was engaged to her high school boyfriend. But that when She realized that his parents were expecting her to work a minimum wage job and support and put him through college. She was like, (laughs) I'm out. (laughs) This is not for me. This is not the life that I want to live. And so she kind of like interwove her own path and her own story with the story of Barbie also evolving. Through time, and uh, she was fascinating. She she came to New York first time because she won a competition to be a guest editor at Mademoiselle. And then she ended up going to art school and started designing Barbie in 1963. And she talks about all these, like, really iconic Barbies. She talks about counterculture Barbie. She talked about the first black and Hispanic Barbies, which were launched in 1980. And she also talked about Barbie and the Rockers and answered lots of questions from Barbie collectors and fans. So um, if, if you're interested in this at all, check out her book. It's called Dressing Barbie, and she
1: was a delight. Oh my gosh, I want to order that immediately. Yeah, and uh, lots of, lots of fabulous pictures, I mean, as you can imagine. And if you are a huge Barbie fan, you can actually check out the fabulous Netflix series, The Toys That Made Us, and they have a whole episode on Barbie. Um, and you get a lot of the history um, and uh, about that really iconic toy um, that has been with us for over, what, 50 plus years now? Oh, I think it's –
0: let's see. So Barbie came out in the 1950s, so it's more like 70, 75. Wow. Yeah. Cass, as you know, we are going to be expanding our fashion history travel offerings this year. Mm -hmm. So you better bet that I'm going to be brushing up on my language skills with Rosetta Stone.
1: So join us, dress listeners, in putting on your detective hats and escape to a bygone age of mystery, danger, and romance. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. So something our listeners might want to read, I will pop it in a couple articles into our uh, description on, our, on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. You can find links to a lot of the stuff April and I talk about today. But uh, I've got a little bit of a bone to pick with CNN mm. um, about an article I that it. I read. <laughs> I don't know how many of our listeners are familiar, or if you are, April, with all of the complaints about the J-Lo and Shakira halftime show. Oh, no, I didn't know that there were complaints. Yes, yeah, so um, 1,300 FCC complaints were written in the aftermath of the now controversial halftime show because of Shakira and J-Lo's performance. So... You know, people have a right to their opinion, but CNN kind of wrote this one-sided article that just kind of talks about the problems that everyone had with this performance, um, but never really provided the counter-narrative to show why people actually might have celebrated and appreciated this performance. So there's 102 million viewers of the Super Bowl. I just want to interject that. And 1,300 complaints, so 1,300 unhappy customers. Yeah, that, that seems like a drop in the bucket. Yeah. <laughs> so the uh, author of this article starts, Families all over America gathered on Super Bowl Sunday to watch the Kansas City Chiefs battle the San Francisco 49ers, turning one of America's most beloved sports events into a cheerful family affair. And then she basically goes on to say that it that stopped there because the halftime show ruined it. Um, the <laughs> complaints... <laughs> Are that these women were sexually explicit. It wasn't appropriate for children. Um, there was even accusations of sex trafficking, um, promoting what? sex trafficking. Like, it, it's just quite ridiculous, I think, in today's day and age. There was... a. Uh, One viewer apparently said, in our country, there has been a push for women's rights and more opportunities along with the Me Too movement, which is a good thing. But this takes us back to where women get their worth from their sexuality, not their brains' personalities. And I don't appreciate it. And a family-friendly broadcast. So... My first immediate reaction is just—I mean, we talk about the policing of women's bodies all the time on Mm trust. So this is just a twenty twenty extension of that. These women are embracing their sexuality as they should. Um, I mean, takes us back to where women get their worth from sexual from their sexuality. I mean, those are all society imposed. And male-imposed standards on a woman's body if she's only reduced to what she sexually um, can provide visually and sexually. Um, I mean, J-Lo and Shakira came out there and rocked it. Yeah, they did. J-Lo's 51. (laughs) (laughs) She looked amazing. (laughs) They both looked amazing. Oh, yes. my God. I mean, I thought it was wonderful. I think if you don't want to see it, then change the channel. Um, you know, this sport is is promoting violence among many things. I mean, there's so many different things that you can say about so many different things. And I guess to put it in perspective, when Justin Timberlake revealed um, Janet Jackson's breast, there was 500,000 complaints. <laughs> <laughs> I just think that with that many people watching— Yeah,
0: Uh, you're you're not going to please everybody, no matter what.
1: Yeah. And I was just more disappointed with, honestly, the article and how it didn't provide this other perspective. There's actually another article on CNN written by Raul Reyes. Um, He said, beyond its entertainment value, the Super Bowl halftime show mattered because it put Latino performers center stage celebrating their contributions to popular culture. It reflected a smart, Marketing strategy for the NFL and was a win for diversity and and inclusion. So, yeah, cheers to that! Yay! Um, let's see what else.
0: I don't know if you've heard about this cast, but there is a new Bill Cunningham
1: documentary out. Have you heard about this? I have, but I've not dug much further. So please tell me more.
0: Yeah. So, um, some of you may have already seen the 2010 documentary on Bill Cunningham, who is a legendary street. Photographer here in um, New York City. He passed away a few years ago, um, and he has a memoir out. and And we keep saying that we're going to do a, an episode on Bill Cunningham, and we definitely should. But um, he worked for the New York Times for decades and decades and decades. And he was most famous for his style of capturing um, the denizens of New York City. He would ride around on his bicycle and just shoot photographs um, on the street uh, of people, um, oftentimes in a fashion context. So um, he's much beloved. Everyone really, really, really loved Bill. So this new documentary that's out is called The Times of Bill Cunningham. And Cass has kind of a funny backstory because um, in 1994, Bill um, was up for a CFDA award. And you know how at award shows, sometimes they have like a minute or a two-minute clip of the nominee talking about their work or giving a little background, and that's screened during the award show. So um, he had a a gentleman over to record that little clip. And, you know, he thought it was going to take like, you know— a very small amount of time. Like they were going to talk for 10 minutes and then it was going to be edited down. Well, what ended up happening is that they got in this marathon long conversation that ended up being four hours long. Wow. Um, and this was, yeah. And he basically told um, the, this re- reporter um, or the gentleman who was there to do the video clip his entire life story. So this was in 1994. Um, Bill would have been 65 at the time. And so, so um, what what has happened now is that footage has now been turned into this brand new oh,
1: wow. documentary.
0: Yeah, and it's narrated by none other than SJP Sarah Jessica Parker. <laughs> And, and I have to say, this new version has kind of gotten mixed reviews, but I haven't seen it yet. I've only seen clips, and I've talked to several people who've seen it, but I'm going to go see it nonetheless. Um, but I do want to say, in the trailer, he says something that was really fascinating, I think is going to be interesting to you, Cass. He says, quote, I never said I was a photographer. I think of myself as a fashion historian. That's what I'm interested in, and the camera is another instrument to record
1: which I thought was really fascinating. I mean, he is endlessly fascinating. I mean, what a wonderful man and someone who is just so incredibly, genuinely passionate about fashion. He loved fashion. It was his entire life. And the more Bill Cunningham documentaries, the better. So check it out and let me know. And then um, hopefully it'll become available where all of us can check it out very, very soon.
0: Yeah. And if you haven't seen the 2010 documentary, that one is called Bill Cunningham, New York. And that is also available on Amazon.
1: <laughs> so get an Amazon <laughs> subscription <laughs> or... Or uh, hey, Amazon, why don't you sponsor the podcast? Yeah, and uh, just for a fellow, my fellow students out there, I didn't realize that Amazon Prime offers a student discount. So that might help you to get, um, get on there and check out all these amazing films and TV shows that are streaming live. Um, so for those of you in Paris who want to go out and see a new exhibition or you're heading to Paris between now and July 14th, definitely wanted to tell you about the Harper's Bazaar First in Fashion exhibition that just opened at Mad Paris, which is the Museum of Decorative Arts, uh, the Decorative Arts Museum in Paris. Um, I think it's Les Arts Décoratifs. Musée des Arts Décoratifs. And it chronicles the milestones of this iconic magazine and its evolution. Over 152 years, actually, of fashion history um, is being covered in this exhibition. So from Man Ray, Salvador Dali, and Andy Warhol to Richard Avedon, um, what essentially they've done is they've put um, blown up these photographs and then... Paired them with couture garments, um, and in many cases, these couture garments are actually being reflected in the photograph. I'm just like I'm such a sucker for that sort of thing. I do that on <laughs> hair dress all the time. When you can actually find the extant garment and pair it with a photograph or an illustration, I love that. Yeah, um, it's so cool to see how it's rep- how people have represented it versus what it looks like in reality.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And for any of those of our listeners out there who are joining us in Paris um, this June on our Dress 2020 trip to Paris, we're actually going to be visiting this exhibition in person. So some of us will be seeing it live. Oh, yeah. Um, Can't wait. All right.
1: Um, Do you have anything else you want to add this week, Cass? or, Or does that about wrap it up? And in closing, I would like to invite anyone in Albuquerque this upcoming weekend, I'm going to be giving a talk at the Albuquerque International Association in honor of International Women's Month. I'm going to be talking about women fashion designers and the birth of modern dress. So if you're in Albuquerque on Sunday and want to come check it out, come see me. Great. Oh, and you know what?
0: One last thing. I have to issue a correction because on one of our recent episodes, and in fact, it was our first Fashion History Now episode, I said that Phoebe Waller-Bridge wrote Gentleman Jack. And I was just hella confused that day because (laughs) I mixed up two of my favorite shows. (laughs) It's actually Sally Wainwright who does the spectacular job of writing Gentleman Jack. Um, Phoebe Waller-Bridge writes Killing Eve, which is one of my other favorite shows, and Fleabag. So Sally Wainwright, Gentleman Jack, Phoebe Waller-Bridge, Killing Eve, and uh, Fleabag. So that's my bad, guys. And some of you (laughs) pointed that out, so thank you very much.
1: (laughs) All fabulous shows, all fabulous things to do and see. And fabulous clothes. Yay! So um, that actually concludes our second fashion history now, guys. Uh, So hopefully this provides you with a lot of things to see um, and do uh, this upcoming week um, or upcoming two weeks until we do our third edition. Yes. Thank you for joining us. And please tune in this coming
0: Tuesday to our full length episode. We would like to thank our producers, Holly Fry and Casey Pegram and everyone else at iHeartMedia that makes the show possible each and every week. The History of Fashion is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts on iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever else you listen to your favorite shows. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar.